1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Made by Mamas, the podcast. I'm Zoe. And I'm Georgia. And we're here talking all things parenthood, tips and tricks, products we love, and brands that we can't live without. Let's get into it.
2: So, Hello, mate. How are you? I'm fine. I'm actually just looking at your photo. <laughs> Zoe Hardman turns heads in a leopard print dress oh, and leather jacket. Up, <laughs> I up. mean, oh my goodness. I've, I'm so glad that I'm getting these photos of you because I don't get to see you anymore. No, and now I feel like I know what you're doing. Let me <laughs> tell you what's happening here,
1: okay? Vogue <laughs> Williams, the lovely Vogue Williams, who's been on the podcast, also a mate of mine. She's taken over um, Sunday breakfast at heart so I now do 9 to 12 and she does 6 till 9 in the morning so the paps are like camped outside for her and because it's lockdown and because they're bored they're like oh we'll just come in a bit earlier and we'll get Zoe when she comes in you know there's no other news going on and um, so now I can't go into work basically with unwashed like dry shampooed hair with skinny <laughs> jeans and no makeup I have to wear like a full on outfit and do a prime wear shades and I'm like this is like what are you doing it's like 30 on a Sunday morning, I'm like, I have to these days.
2: And oh yeah, my yeah. God, I'm loving it. It's amazing <laughs> though. And what, I've got one question. When they pap you on the phone, are you actually on the phone talking to someone? I was talking to
1: Dozer, and they were waiting <laughs> after the show on Saturday. They're there now both days. Anyway, look, I'm not complaining. It's quite funny, but sometimes they get you and you don't know. So you've got to make sure you're not pulling like a very kind of strange
2: face with like some eye shut and your tongue out or whatever it's just (laughs) how are you I'm fine I mean I definitely couldn't be pat right now I have got (laughs) conjunctivitis in one eye and it is flygate I'm actually on antibiotics now and an antibiotic eye drop because I was running yesterday and I thought I'd been stung by a wasp But it turns out a fly had got in my eye and it was about eight hours later the fly fell out of my eye and then I woke up with my eye basically like closed together with gunk I mean it is gross who knew I thought you'd get like shin splints or you know a twisted ankle from running yeah. a running injury not not um I was gonna say coronavirus <laughs> <laughs> conjunctivitis <laughs> coronavirus conjunctivitis um I once um
1: oh. run and a piece of plastic um flew up from the ground a tiny bit of plastic and went into my eye and ended up having to go to I feel more hospital and I had to wear oh, a my God. For
2: three weeks. <laughs> <gasps> yeah. who knew the dangers of running <laughs> why <Where's> that <laughs> <laughs> stop running start eating more cake how is all your exercise going yes all right I mean now the weather's not so nice it's so much harder isn't it like yeah. I am still running I'll still go and run a few times a week but that's pretty much it Not a lot else going on. I I
1: just can't wait for the gyms to be open back up again. Whenever that is going to be, October now because I'm I'm waking up and I'm 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 definitely going through a slump of like not being motivated to do exercise. I haven't trained. What is it Monday today? I've not trained since Thursday, and like I know that in ten minutes we've got to start training, and I'm like I don't want you don't want to do it. Yeah, (laughs) I mean you do feel like that, and that's fine if you feel like that as well. You've got to listen to your body, but I think we always say, don't we? That if you do get up and do a bit of exercise, you do feel better afterwards.
2: Yeah. Definitely, so much better to just get up first thing as well and get it done, and then that's you for the rest of the day. And then the kids are right. Yeah, I've actually got Gigi sitting on my lap, and she's eating a cupcake. So that's all good. Have we been baking again? Have <laughs> we been doing Be- Betty Crocker? Of course, cool <laughs> I have baking. Betty Crocker. Of course, if you know, if you look out the window and you see grey skies, know that Georgia is doing a Betty Crocker cake. <laughs> <laughs> I saw <was laughs> this morning. Yeah, I saw that.
1: Yeah, I'm finding it really difficult, not because it's boring, because I don't understand it, and it's like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but anybody that's si- sitting there and going, I remember it all from school," sure are lying, because yeah. I mean, antonyms and synonyms, obviously that was a couple of weeks ago. Today we had to what? do a maths equation using milli- milliliters from um, potions, and it was, like, it was like adding up in your head, like, what's 13 plus 17? And I was
2: like, oh, fuck. <laughs> How old is she? She's seven. Oh my goodness. Oh my thing. gosh. Yeah, that feels like a real lot. I thought, I mean it's 7 I don't know, but it sounds very tricky anyway.
1: Well, the worst part was when we were having to try and do the mass equations on the side of the piece of paper and I obviously no. got it wrong. This was on her <laughs> homework piece of paper. So I scrubbed it out with pen and she was like, no Zoe, you're not doing it right. This is how you do it. And then obviously you have to take a photograph of it, upload it to this thing called Seesaw. So all of the teachers are going to know that her stepmother <laughs> tried to do the equation and got it wrong. <laughs>
2: oh, God, like, maybe I'll do it next <laughs> time. Hey. That is a great way to get out of doing it. Uh, really good, right? Thanks. thanks, thanks. Um, but listen, we're going to get into the chat.
1: Um, we've literally just jumped off um, a call with this amazing lady. We really wanted to have a discussion around... Um, disabilities and um, having a disabled child for a long time haven't we but we really wanted the right spokesperson the right person to kind of bring her voice to it and um, Julie Neville has been very vocal hasn't she about the fact that her daughter Isabella was born with cerebral palsy Um, so yeah it's such a fantastic chat I feel uh, like so lucky that we got her
2: yeah me too I mean let's let's hand it over to Julie now yeah we'll get into it So
1: another day, another podcast in lockdown and Georgia and I are both absolutely over the moon to be sitting down virtually um, with this amazing lady today. She is a two time published author. Her last book, Authentic Spanish Cooking, came off the back of her living in Valencia for three years. Uh, She's married to the lioness manager Phil Neville and has been for the last 20 years since they were teenagers. Wow. Uh, they share two children, Harvey, who is 18, and Isabella, who is 16. Today, we are chatting to Julie Neville. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank yeah. you for having me. <laughs> How are you? I'm great, thank you. Lockdown all Okay.
0: Lockdown is good. Um, I was saying, kind of in the, the warm up before we started, how um, my son is made for lockdown. I think he'd be happy to be <laughs> never left like the house ever again. Um, and I'm really lucky. My children are very, very close. They're close in age, but they're very close in you know to, together anyway. So they do everything together. So it's been quite easy for me. You know that they entertain each other and they hang out together all the time. They have the same interests. So that's made it really easy for me.
2: Is it not difficult? I always imagine it'd be difficult to have teenagers in lockdown because, you know, they want their own space and stuff anyway. They want to be with their mates all the time. Is it hard to tell them, like, that they can't see their friends and what the reasons why and do they get it? Um, To be honest,
0: you know, both my children would probably quite often choose to spend time with the family as opposed to with their friends when given the chance. So I'm quite lucky in that sense that we're a very close family and we do do a lot together um, my son normally he he plays football and he trains with his friends every single day. um Obviously not at the moment. That, that's you know he's, he's isolating training. Um, my daughter she misses her friends more, but they've got all these kind of Netflix parties going on and you know Zoom parties every night and things like that. So that's how they stayed in contact. So to be honest, neither one of them have complained once, which is incredible really. Now given that I think we're in our eleventh week of lockdown. Um, so they've, they've been brilliant, really, they've they've never complained, they've never asked to try and meet up with people, you know, I think they understand, we have, you know, that probably like most people that the daily news updates on and so they see it, they're old enough to understand it and the risks involved, so I'm quite lucky in that sense that, you know, they've just accepted it and, and got on with it, really. And
1: Julie, it must be so lovely for you having so much time with Phil at home, because I imagine he's yeah. away a lot.
0: Phil's normally away all the time, in fact, We've been together, you know, for 23 years now, since being teenagers, and we have never spent this time together in our lives. (laughs) You know, I used to think the key to our happy marriage was that we, you know, we probably never saw each other. You know, we've lived in different countries at times. And, um, you know, so when we were in lockdown, I thought, oh, this is going to be quite novel. And, you know, to be honest, we actually have got on really, really well. And I think he's still working, you know, so there'll be, you know, quite a large chunk of every single day where he is... In his studio, there, he's got set up for his TV work or in his office where he's doing all these Zoom meetings all day every day. But to actually have him here every single night and have every meal together as a family has been brilliant for us. And In fact, right now I can see out the window he's playing basketball with our children outside, which he, he never gets time to do. So for him, you know, he's probably catching up on years and years and years of things.
2: Yeah, that is so nice. Yeah, really
1: nice. We're hearing that, that obviously it's been a really tough time for a lot of people, but the actual actual kind of quality family time that people are having together, we're just never going to get this again. No, that's
2: definitely true. I need to jump in and say I cannot wait for my husband to go back to work. (laughs) uh we have never spent this much time together and now i know why we don't spend that much
1: time so just to put it into context george's husband is is also a footballer and plays for Orient. so he's like busy and all the time away and stuff and now george is at home with then she's been with him since she was 17 as well so oh wow yes
0: well at least he'll have his pre season training to start now. My son started his pre season training, so he's got that schedule to stick to every yeah. day, which gives him a yeah, bit of Yeah,
2: That's good. Yeah, no, I know. I'm I'm joking. I'm watching them play in the garden now and it is nice. Joking. But yeah. he well no, I mean I'm not, I've got my fingers crossed. That he's driving me absolutely bonkers. <laughs> but yeah,
0: I think, I think I will be glad for not being asked continually what's for lunch or what's for dinner or what you know, I'm cooking yeah. these three lots of three course meals every single day and I don't think I've ever cooked I love cooking obviously but I don't think I've ever cooked and prepped as much food in my entire life as I have done during the last 11 weeks for three big meals three times you know a day yeah
2: it is a lot it is a real lot Um,
1: Um, I just wanted to jump in here and just kind of talk to you about why why we really wanted to have a chat with you today on the podcast we um we've been dying to have this discussion about um uh, with somebody who has been kind of outspoken about having a child with disabilities now we know we, we read your story we know about your daughter Isabella but could you just take us back to that time 16 years ago um when you were pregnant and just just tell us how the moment was when Isabella came into the world okay well um I was just almost six months
0: pregnant so my son was one years old and I was almost six months pregnant with Isabella. And um, in the middle of the night, Phil was in Dubai in a training camp with Manchester United. My parents, who I lived around the corner from, um, were at their house in Spain. Um, so I was on my own. I woke up in the middle of the night and my waters had broken. Um, very quickly, I realised, you know, it was going quite horribly wrong. So um, I went to the hospital and they they managed to keep um, Isabella from being born for, for almost two weeks, really, which is a bit of a risky procedure, but obviously every single day we could keep her inside, um, in the womb, massively increased her chances of survival. Um, Phil got back from um, Dubai quickly. Um, he left his teammates to get back because um, when I did arrive at the hospital, they sort of said, you know, where's your husband? I was like, he's working away. And that's when they said to me, um, he needs to go home right now. And that's when they start talking to you about the statistics of if your child's born today, there's a very strong possibility it won't survive. Um, So he came back and slept beside the delivery table uh, where I was for two weeks. And then on the day she was born, um, I had something called placenta abruption, which is where the placenta comes away from the uterus, which um, the mother would normally hemorrhage, which I did, and it stops the um, flow of oxygen to to the baby. So they had to get her out very quickly. And I remember when it had started to go wrong that they'd lost her heartbeat. And the last thing I remember before they they gave me a general anaesthetic to, to get her out quickly And the last thing I remember um, was them saying, we've had no heartbeat for four minutes. And there was a clock above the wall in the theatre, and I looked at this clock and just before they put me to sleep, and I noticed it it said 12.24 on it, and her time of birth was 12.26. It was that quick that they got her out. Um, So she was in the ICU, and I I didn't um, come round to, to see her. I was quite unwell myself, actually. After having her, so it was two days before I was brought round, and then I, I didn't actually know I'd had a baby actually when I came round. And by the time they sort of said, "Oh, you know, um, you've had a little girl," and they brought me a photo of her, but it was it was almost two days before they would take. I was well enough to go up to see her, and um, so she was in the ICU and she spent um, about ten weeks in there um, in the ICU. And I would go, you know, when I could eventually go home, because it was the hardest thing for me was the day where I had to go home because I'd left my one year old at home, obviously, when all this happened. And at that point, nobody had ever fed him, changed it up, he put him to bed. It it was only me. You know, I was this real hands on mum. I loved every minute of it. I have to say that after he was born was just the best year of my entire life. And and then this suddenly happened. And, and, you know, he was at home, wouldn't eat, wouldn't sleep, didn't know where mummy was. So I was really torn because I could go home before she could go home. And so she was um, two floors above the floor I was in, in the hospital. So the day I got to leave, it was the most mixed emotions. that I was so desperate to get home to Harvey, my son, who was one. And then I had to leave her behind. And it's the most, any mum that's been in that situation will tell you, it's the most difficult thing emotionally. To deal with yeah and so you leave with this photo of your baby and so I went home and I had this photo of her beside my bed and her empty Moses basket beside my bed oh, uh, and you know now obviously that you know we we've, we've been heavily involved in a charity to make sure that the parents can stay but at the time there was no provision for us to stay um, so we did that um for like I said 10 weeks where we would um I would go and spend time with her during the day Phil would just carry on working, he was away a lot And I would take my son with me every single day um, and we'd do her little cares and we'd scrub in and we'd, you know, you had to open the little doors of the incubator and put your hands in either side. Um, And then we did quite a lot of um, kangaroo care, you know, where we did skin to skin, which was which was lovely. Um, But she was about 10, 11 weeks old by the time she could eventually come home.
2: Wow. And at this point, was there any indication that there was any complications with her health at all? or was she treated as you know any other prem baby is
0: yeah well they they said to me because she was having lots of brain scans and lots of tests and you know she'd had to have quite a few emergency transfusions and all of this which like many babies born probably as early as her possibly um have to have but at the point when she came home I mean she's still under heavy care you know the nurses came every day um, but at that point, they told me, you know, she would just continue to progress then probably a little bit behind, you know, her age, because obviously she, her gestation wasn't complete. Um, but she would progress like any normal child. That said, very quickly, I had the feeling that there was something not quite right. Um, I used to take her to baby clinic every single week um, in her baby. book, there was notes of me complaining about. You know she was you know she failed all her milestones but really badly you know she she couldn't sit up still at 15 months I noticed that even if I sat her in a car seat she was slumped quite heavily to the left side so I, I would be driving I'd have her strapped in I'd say to Harvey you know like push Isabella up you know because she would be slumped to one side Um, I noticed that she kind of dribbled more on one side um and like i said she didn't she didn't even sit up she you know when you take them to baby clinic and they do like they have to pick up like little rice krispies she couldn't do anything like that she failed all her yeah. tests and they kept saying to me you know because like i said i went every week without fail you know stop comparing your first child to your second child every child develops at a different rate premature babies take quite a long time to catch up you could expect that to take several years and this went on and on and on um to the point of where I was going on and on and on about it, and my husband actually, you know, we would ra- we never fall out. You know, Phil and I, we we ne- I'm more likely to cry than shout, and, and you know, we're very close. We, we hardly ever argue. But at this point, he started to sort of say to me, "You're looking for things that aren't there. You're becoming psychotic over it. If the doctors are telling you there's nothing there, then just accept that there isn't." And this went on, and. I remembered going to the clinic this particular day and, you know, she was about 17 months at this point and still laid flat on her back. And she was getting very frustrated, you know, because obviously her mind was of the age of wanting to do things that a 17 month old baby could do, but she was laid flat on her back.
2: Yeah. And only
0: could play with the toys for like a newborn baby or, or, you know, I would prop her up and carry her around or, you know, all these things. And then the other thing I noticed was that, you know, her development in other areas was probably being affected because, what your parents will tell you if they've got a disabled child is that your children teach you to teach them. So if you have a child that's learned to walk and you're walking through a garden with them, you, know, you would automatically say, don't run or let's hop or let's skip or they'll pick a flower and you'll say, don't touch that or that's a yellow flower. And all these things you are teaching them without you realising that they are leading you to teach them that. But if you have a child that just lies down, you're not going to say to them, don't run, don't skip, don't go too fast, don't touch, because they, they can't actually do any of that. So I realized that she wasn't just not moving, but she wasn't learning, you know, things that, you know, I was missing out on all these things that I would naturally teach her. So I'd gone to the clinic and this, they, they went and got the doctor because I was getting quite worked up about her, about her still not doing any of these things. And she, she also vomited every single meal. She choked continually. On the slightest thing, so so she was on completely pureed food. um, You know, which obviously, say she she shouldn't have been, and so I couldn't give her things to chew on or nibble, because she would just choke and and throw up. Um, And also, she'd been admitted to hospital quite a few times. She would just stop breathing for no reason. She'd go completely blue, stop breathing. We would have to like one hundred miles an hour, either in ambulance or in a car, get to hospital, and generally we would be admitted for a week. Um, So I would move in with Harvey. Phil would normally be away. And and this went on, um, like I said, till she was almost two. So this particular day, I'd gone to the clinic. The doctor came, and and he gave me back exercises to do with her. And I got in the car, and I drove to my mum's house. And, you know, I just, I I burst into tears to my mother and just said, look, I know everyone thinks I'm crazy, but I know, I know in my heart that there's something not right. Mm -hmm. I said, Phil thinks I'm losing my mind. I said, and, you know, I'm going back to clinic every single week. I'm not getting anywhere. And so my mother said to me at the time, um, look, you know, I think that there's no, you know, there's nothing wrong with her. It probably is everything the doctors saying. But if you feel that in your heart, drive to where she was born, which was the, the specialist unit in the centre of Manchester. She'd go to the hospital. Go now. Go and ask to see the, the top paediatrician now and, and force it. So that's what I did. I got in the car, drove to the hospital, um, walked in like some crazy woman because I was crying at this point. And um, so because they knew me because I'd spent so much time in there, um, they were like, "Oh is everything okay?" And I was just going, "Look, no, everything's not okay. I know there's something wrong with her, and I need somebody to tell me what it is." So they went and got my obstetrician, and, and I explained to him, and he was like, "Look, don't worry. It's probably nothing. Sit here. I'm going to get somebody to come and see you." They went and got this lovely, lovely pediatrician to see me, and um, we spent an hour with her. And when I left, she just said, "I'm just going to run a few tests, but when I left I remember ringing Phil and saying, they know what's wrong with her. And he said, what is it? I said, well, they didn't tell me what it was, but I know they know what it is. And he said, how do you know? I said, I just know.
2: Mm.
0: Anyway, she called me, this um, pediatrician, a week later. And she said, um, you know, I'd like to make an appointment for you and your husband to come and and see us to get the results. And so I said, well, look, my husband's away for quite a few weeks now. So, um, you know, is it something you could tell me over the phone? And I was driving, I was actually on the way to nursery to pick my son up. And she just said, Are you driving? And I said, Yes, yeah. you need to pull over the car, stop the car. So I stopped the car. And that's when she told me over the phone, She said, um, Your daughter's got cerebral palsy. And I remember being in total shock at the time, because I remember thinking, and I actually said it to her Look, you know, I've heard of cerebral palsy and I have a vague idea of what it is, but I have no idea what this means for my daughter. Mm. And she said, well, you know, this is why we need to have a meeting, because every case of cerebral palsy will pose differently. And there's a full spectrum, as there are with many conditions of, of, you know, from from the very mild to the very severe. And so we need to discuss about where we think your daughter is in that and and what it means for her. Um, You know, I remember I picked my son up from nursery and I got home and I rang my mother and my sister and said, look, I'm just ringing to let you know that um, the doctor's called and Isabel's got cerebral palsy, so I don't want anybody to come around and I'll speak to you all tomorrow. And they were like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> if you lost your mind, it's like, no, I just need time to process it. Yeah. And I thought, if you all come around, I'll be bursting into tears. And I thought, right, I just need to get my head around this, then I can deal with it. And Phil, like I said, he was away. So I did what's the worst thing you can possibly do is that you go on the internet, you look up. You know, about this condition. Obviously, the the most highlighted cases will be the most severe cases. So I remember putting the children to bed, crying myself to sleep on the stairs, waking up on the stairs the next morning. So as soon as Phil got back from um, where he was with the club, um, we went and had a meeting. And, you know, there was a lot of doctors in this room at the time. And, you know, they explained to us that. Isabella was going to have an MRI scan um, because cerebral palsy is a form of brain damage and the MRI scan would give them a lot of information but wouldn't necessarily give them the whole picture because they can look at a thousand brain scans with the same amount of brain damage and every child will still pose different levels of disability. Mm-hmm. In, at this point in time they couldn't tell us if she would have learning difficulties. Um, she didn't speak, she didn't make many noises at all actually so they told us at that moment in time, they couldn't tell us if she would speak or if she would say a full sentence. They said that they didn't, they thought they were potentially going to have to fit a feeding tune because like I said, she, she vomited everything that wasn't completely liquid and she was all, you know, 18 months old at the time. They said that um, she may never toilet train. They said that, um, I I asked a question, I said, look, will she walk? And they came back straight away and said, you know, she doesn't, sit up she doesn't crawl and she doesn't stand so why are you asking if she'll walk at this stage and I said because I look at walking as the key to leading a near normal life and they said to us you know well at this moment in time it potentially isn't in her lifetime so I remember getting in the car going home and just thinking oh my god so you know what what will she be able to do you know it, it was this meeting of they told us all these things she potentially would never ever do so it was another one of those things. We got home, Phil and I, and we were like a bit in shock. In fact, he didn't speak about it. He just kind of acted like nothing had happened and I was completely traumatised. So again, I kind of thought, right, I'm going to give myself 24 hours to feel sorry for myself here, and which I did. And then I got up the next day and I thought, right, okay, we just need to face this head on. And I, I had this kind of thing where I thought, well, if I accept that she's not going to do any of those things they said she potentially won't do, then she never will. But if I give her every possibility to try and achieve them you know then she might have a chance so that was my mindset straight away from the next day I thought right come on let, you know what do we need to do so I kind of immediately rang they give you all these people from occupational therapists physiotherapists pediatricians neurologists you know eyes ears you know this you get this whole team which is incredible this is all provided on the NHS it's the most incredible service And this team worked together. So they would all see her however many times their role is per month. And then once a month, they would come together and have a meeting and discuss the progress that was made in that month. You know, it's it's the most incredible service that they provide. And then I also um, got a joiner to come to the house and I put rails around the whole house upstairs and downstairs at her height. And then I went went to like the local toy shop, bought all her favorite toys and I put them on these rails, kind of read into it and learnt that um, quite a lot of the growth of a child is stimulated by the stamping movement of their feet. Right. So I thought, I've got to get her on her feet. So I thought, if she can stand up and hold on to this rail, I knew she'd want to get to the toy. <laughs> so it was kind of almost like, well, I, I would say bribery. And looking back now, it potentially was also child cruelty <laughs> on one level because she was so <laughs> desperate to get to these toys. And I remember I was stood at one end of this rail with the, with the you know, probably just half a meter away from her. So Harvey and I were stood at this with the toy on the rail and she was stood up holding onto this rail and she, she was crying for the toy. And I was saying to Harvey, don't give it to her. Do not give her the toy. And and it, that's wow. when it started. She would drag herself to get to the toy. Um And then Phil went away and um I got rid of his three car garage. Didn't need that. And I made it into a, a big soft play area because I wanted I wanted her to be able to stand up fall over and and not get hurt because her life was going to involve a lot of falls and it has and so we created almost like this sensory physiotherapy room for her um which was incredible really for her she she could try and climb up these soft stairs and fall off and, and it wouldn't matter because she landed on a soft you know on a soft base and and that's how it started and um she can't continue with all these treatments. I have to honestly say um, the first three years of her life, I look back and think it it was just like three years out of my life. I, you know, I, I felt like I was treading water, trying to keep, you know, stop myself from drowning. I was trying to put on this exterior, even to my husband, you know, that I can do this. I can still be the perfect wife and I'm this mother and it doesn't matter that I've got this child that needs all this help and she can't, she doesn't sleep. She doesn't eat. She can't swallow. She throws up. She she stopped breathing and, and all these things and still be this great mum to our ch- our other child that was only you know two at this point. Yeah. And so those three years were you know particularly difficult. And I think the thing that was really hard for me, and, and you know, now I, I speak to it and, and you know I'm in contact with quite a lot of the parents of children with cerebral palsy. And I, I will say to them all that quite often you spend a lot of time you know, four or five days a week in hospital, doing all these treatments and feeling like you're getting nowhere. Yeah. And we did that for years. I felt that I was getting nowhere. And, you know, at times I would sit there and I would cry myself to sleep and just think, you know, where is this going? You know, we're, we're working so hard with the speech therapists and the physiotherapists and the occupational therapists and the, it's scan after scan. And, you know, she she was wearing, we had, um, she had to have these splints on which were plastic to her knee with metal rods that went up her legs that fitted to a metal brace around her waist. And she wore that for quite a few years. And so you couldn't get clothes to fit or shoes to go on her feet or, you know, all these other things that come with it. Um, and even just going out was just, a, you know, difficult because she would probably vomit five, six times, but like literally projectile everywhere. So I would go out with bags and bags and bags of clothes. and you know. Yeah.
1: So we'll be back right after this. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
2: Now, let's pick up where we left off with our wonderful guest.
1: They, they think that, obviously cerebral palsy is when the oxygen is starved from the brain. They think that yeah. you had a stroke in your womb. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah,
2: they do. Yes, they
0: do. So only from the MRI. Yeah. The, the MRI showed that just before my waters broke at, you know, 28 weeks gestation, for whatever reason, which is an unexplained reason, which I've since learned is actually quite a common thing, right. there was a stop of flow the, of blood to the brain. For a split second, it can be. and yeah. This is actually quite common. They said one in 400 um, at, the, at the time, one in 400 um, babies in the womb will suffer a stroke. Quite often, a lot of those are in the first 12 weeks. The mother may miscarry and there will be no explained reason at that time. There could also be quite a lot of children have gone on and had strokes in the womb, but it would have been a milder effect. And you go one and they might just never be the fastest runner. They might just never be particularly brilliant at maths. But they will never have severe enough symptoms to warrant an MRI scan or for further investigations because they're not left with any particularly severe defect. In Isabella's case, she has quite a lot of brain damage. So the fact that I've seen that scan and I've known it, she actually is a walking miracle that she's achieved what she's achieved and she is how she is today. And you know, if if somebody you know when she was born or one or two or three or even five or six had said to me, you know, she'd be like she is today. I would have given everything we had to guarantee she could be like she is today because I could just never visualize it. And, you know, I would say that, you know, yes, we are lucky. We're in a position where, you know, we could pay for extra physios. We could transform garages into play areas. We could, you know, do all these extra things that we do. We could pay for the best splints and, 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 you know, that she, she wears now to this day. Um, They all help. I would say that she is like, she is, is, because of her, you know, because of her mental outlook and her determination and her, her, you know, this attitude that she has, and you know, I, you know, I, you said you'd seen the the Good Housekeeping, um,
2: yeah, magazine, and, and I and, had,
0: yeah, yeah, and in that, I, I'm not sure if it said it in the article or not, but you know, in the interview that I, I said that um, recently, we'd had to go for an appointment with her surgeon, which you know is something that's ongoing, and she potentially pays you know facing a, a really huge huge surgery at the moment and you know we're doing everything we can to try and put it off or prevent it if we can but you know they may come a time in the very um, not too distant future where she has to have it and it would involve you know breaking her hip breaking her leg breaking her knee breaking her foot moving it all around she would be wheelchair based for quite a long time then she would have to learn to walk again and you know all of this which you know for anybody is particularly difficult and frightening but for a teenage girl yeah Um, at this point in her life and you know not just physically but emotionally and socially the the impact that would have on her and we talked openly with the surgeon now she's of the age where they speak openly in front of her she needs to understand she needs to be on board with it all and so we had all these conversations which were obviously particularly frightening and we got in the car to go home and she said to me um like very matter of fact she just said, you know what, mummy, um, I don't look at myself the way you look at me. And I was like, oh, I don't know what you mean. And she said, well, I sit in that meeting and I listen to you all talk about me and all the things that are wrong with me. And she said, um, but I feel normal and I feel strong. Oh, and wow. at that moment, I was thinking, first of all, don't cry. Yeah. And secondly, try not to crash the car. Oh, um, yeah. I, but that is her her mindset. You know, she she just said, you know, I don't look at myself as disabled. I know I am, and I accept it. And it makes me who I am. But I don't look at myself like that. I don't see myself like that. She said, I feel perfectly normal. I feel completely strong. And then her next sentence was, "And I'm not having the operation."
1: <laughs> you know,
2: really? You know, yeah.
0: That, 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 that bit we might need to discuss at a later date. But you know, <laughs> and you know, if, that that was probably my my proudest thing with her is that she just you know, faces everything head on. She's very strong minded and very determined. And, you know, l- like going back to what I was saying, for three years, I felt we were making no progress. And then literally she was three and a half. Yeah. And one day she stood up and she just walked. Wow. Like, wow. I was like, oh my God. And there was only me and Harvey there at the time. So I was like, well, I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to tell anybody because I don't want my mother ringing every day going, did she walk again? And then I never do it again. And, um, and then a few days later, Phil was home, and uh, we were in the soft play area, and she got up and um, she started to take steps, and we were counting. she was going one, two, three, and she did fifteen steps and then she fell over and her face was just like this it was like this moment it just, if I could have captured that moment, you know if we'd have oh, been as good with mobile no. phones as we, then as we are now, yeah um, and you know she I, and I knew in that moment that she was going to be okay i just it was it was like the the moment where the penny dropped, and everything all the hard work that' had been put in. All started to fall into place at that that moment. So I always say to him, it was three years out of my life, and then from that moment, it was when everything started to progress. So it does eventually come together. You feel like you're getting nowhere, but it actually under the water, it is all working, and and then it just comes together.
1: I, I was going to ask Judy for, for 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 anybody that's listening, that's got a disabled child, or who's got a friend that's that's giving yeah. birth to a disabled child, um, and they're not where you are, um, yeah, and they're feeling. You know probably all the things that you felt as well what, what what advice would you give to them listening?
0: well, you know the first thing I'd say is, look, you know first of all, don't beat yourself up about feeling upset or frightened or worried. They're all the things that are completely normal to feel, and I felt them I hid most of them, I have to say, yeah, and, and you know I look back now you know to times where during that time where you know it was the most traumatic three years, really, because obviously we had the traumatic birth, and then everything was going on, and then to find out she had cerebral palsy she had this stroke and then be thrown into this system of like literally four or five days a week of hospital, like virtually living in the hospital for a few years and trying to juggle being a good mum and a good wife and, and all those things. You know, it's okay to not feel like you're being brilliant and perfect or feel like you're, you're not coping. And, and, you know, I wasn't open about that at the time. I didn't take them up on any of the offers of, you know, these groups or support networks because I just, you know, I, I didn't want to probably accept that potentially I wasn't coping great at the time. And, you know, I did end up, you know, having panic attacks at times still not telling anybody you know um so I look back at first of all I would say you know allow yourself to cry sometimes or to be upset or to be frightened and for me every time you know we got bad news because you know with a child with disability quite often there is quite a lot of bad news there is quite a lot of things to deal with and take in and for me I'd say right 24 hours I can sulk about it for 24 hours and tomorrow we're going to face it head on and to this day that's what we do and I'll I'll say that to Isabella now you know okay that's not what you wanted to hear, you know. You've got to wear, you know, she 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 has to wear these particular new splints that we're, we're just waiting to have fitted at the moment. So she's got three months freedom really because we can't get them fitted. Um, and so I said to look, I know you don't want them. It's not brilliant. You can sulk about it tonight, and then tomorrow we don't we don't moan about it again. And and that's what we do. Um, and the other thing I would say is that progress can sometimes seem slow, but there will be progress. And, you know, trust in the system and, you know, like I said, the NHS can provide some incredible people that, you know, work with these children and and are amazing. And, you know, our daughter hopefully is a story of hope for so many because her prognosis wasn't particularly great and she's far exceeded every single one of her prognosis and, and continues to do so. And, you know, so she is an example of that you know from a child that you know at almost 2 years old literally was like having a newborn baby is now a very bright and courageous and beautiful and clever young lady who goes to a very high achieving grammar school who should have just missed her GCSE exams and who's currently as we're doing this podcast is outside playing basketball with her brother so you know that's what i would say don't give up hope allow yourself to be upset sometimes probably limit it to how long you allow yourself and um I just have faith in the system and and know that progress will be made because it will.
2: And um, how did your friends and people around you react after Isabella's prognosis? Um,
0: We didn't tell a lot of people at the time. Um, I think that was probably more my husband's doing. He didn't want to tell anybody. We, We handled it very differently, if I'm being honest. So he, when we came out of Um, the hospital after having the first initial meeting I remember getting in the car and my mother crying saying oh they said she might not walk and she might not do this and and then he rang his parents and said yeah yeah they said it's nothing to worry about loads of children don't walk at the age of 18 months it was like we'd been in two completely different meetings and so that at the time I'm just thinking you know what is he talking about did he not listen to anything they said um and then obviously over the next few months, whereas I was doing all the hospital appointments, he was just carrying on going to work and I was doing all the hospital appointments with, with both children. And, you know, Isabel was being plaster cast and, you know, all these different brain scans, whatever it was. And he never talked about it. And then I quite quickly came to realize that his way of dealing was with it was just to act like nothing was happening. And But I was fully submerged at this moment in time of I'm giving up my life here to give, give this child the best chance of you know achieving a near normal life and so we were on polar opposites of you know our understanding of where we were at at that time so this I would say probably went in for 12 months we didn't have any cross words about it he just acted like nothing was happening and I was just trying to stop myself from drowning and you know trying to cope with everything and it was actually we went to um a mutual friend's, uh, uh, you know, child's birthday party. And, and at this point, Isabella was wearing splints on her legs and, you know, she was quite obviously had something wrong with her. You know, it, it, you know, it was obvious to anybody that, that would see her. and But we didn't speak about it openly, you know, further than our immediate family. And so we'd gone to this birthday party and the um, children's entertainer was playing uh, musical bumps. So Isabella was probably almost three at the time so she obviously wanted to join in the party games and she was like next to like a pillar on the wall. So, I mean, it was literally heartbreaking to watch because all the children would be like dancing around. So she'd be holding onto the wall and bopping away. And then the music would stop. She'd hold onto the wall to try and slide herself down. But by the time she got down, everyone else was back up and started again. So then she'd then try and pull herself back up again. And, and you know, it was one of those moments where, you know, I had a lump in my throat. But she was just working away way through it, trying to join in this game. Wow, what because, a oh. Well, yeah. Oh. yeah, she must have been exhausted kind of shimmying yeah. up and down this pillar the whole time. But the children's entertainer obviously didn't quite know what to do with her because obviously the children that didn't get down quick enough were out. So he never kind of told her you're out. So it got to the end where there was her and this one other child that obviously won and she thought she'd won. And then he gave the prizes to the child and just pretended she wasn't there really. And so then she starts to cry. So that was that. So I picked her up, went and got her some sweets or something, you know, give her some sugar. That'll sort it all out. And um, and that was that. It was all forgotten. We go home, bath the kids, normal routine, put the children to bed. And, and I came downstairs and my husband was crying. And it's very few times in the 23 years we've been together that I've ever seen him um, upset. And, and I was like, oh, my God, what's happened? You know, I didn't understand what, what had happened. And he said, this is it, isn't it? And I was like, this is what? And he said, um, she's disabled. And, you know, I, at the moment, I, you know, I was tough to stop myself saying, and you only just realise that now. But, you know, I was thinking, no, don't say that. That's not appropriate. Um, and I was like, well, you know, it is. But, you know, I'm, I'm coming to realise that, that, you know, that doesn't mean she's not going to have a completely, you know, normal and happy and fulfilling life. And, you know, today, obviously, was just unfortunate that game is something that she will struggle with you know the way I look at it is that she's you know I'm going to teach her there's nothing she can't do it might be a little bit more difficult at times or we might have to do it in a different way but you know I'm going to instill in Isabella that there is nothing she cannot do and um and and that was it it took him that long really to just really see that you know she was disabled and that this was her life now and um and then after that, he was he was much better. And, and at that point, you know, we hadn't come out publicly and said what was wrong with her. Um, and we didn't do that, I think, for about another 12 months um, where we came out publicly and, and, and said just because we were getting so many, you know, requests of, of, of what was wrong with her, actually. And I just thought, look, if we come out and say it, it'll be, you know, old news by tomorrow. So we did. Um, but our cool. friends... Were amazing. I was, say,
1: was it was it more of a, you know, a, a privity thing that you wanted to kind of protect her? Or were you were you carrying any shame around her disability? Because there still seems to be a bit of a taboo. Um, I don't know whether people don't know what to say, or people don't want to have a conversation. They don't know if they're saying the right thing. Is it going to upset? Is it the right Kind of phrase, I mean, what what do you think it is, Julie? That's still um, holding us back. I guess to have more conversations around disabilities. The thing, the thing for me at the start, why I
0: didn't tell people was um, really <laughs> controlling. My, it, it sounds so silly, really, because I felt if somebody came up to me in the street and said, "Oh, I'm so sorry to hear about your daughter," I, I I would cry, and and I didn't want to be, you know, what I would have felt at the time, looking weak or making a fool of myself in public with people I didn't know. So I felt until I'm at the point where I can speak openly about it without breaking down or, or speak about it and feel strong, then, you know, I don't want to speak about it. Um, and, you know, I think my husband, he obviously just I hadn't come to terms with it. Or I don't know whether in his own mind he was trying to work out, you know, where was she going to be in the spectrum before we work out how we're going to deal with it. I'm not I'm not too sure. Um, you know, I think now it's a different era now from when she was born she's 16 now um and I think a lot of people don't talk about it because I think they're frightened to say the wrong thing and, and I think even down to what's going on at the moment in in the the world of, of you know people standing up for racism and you know um quite often I don't say something because I'm worried that even though I'm trying to do the right thing and say the right thing, that I won't say the right thing. And in doing that, I would offend somebody. Um, and you know, so I think quite often it's just a lack of education. You know, my daughter now notices people stare at her or people, or, you know, quite often, even now, you know, people come up and say, Oh my God, what happened to your legs? You know, when she's wearing these splints in her legs that, you know, and she, she just says, Oh, I was born like this. <laughs> you know? Um, you know, and, and then, I can see she feels a little upset, but she knows that that person just didn't understand and they were not meaning to be mean or rude. Um, that said, you know, there is still the people out there, the very small minority that do find it completely hilarious to mimic how she walks behind her or, you know, make fun. And um, But she knows that the shame is on them. Um, yeah. And that is what we teach her. You know... I think, like I said, going back to it, I think a lot of people don't talk about it because they don't want to offend
2: or say
0: the wrong thing. I I, I would think, you know, Um, a bit of ignorance maybe.
2: And for your daughter, like from her point of view, would she rather say she's meeting, I don't know, meetings and friends and they introduce her to someone new for the first time. Yeah. Would she rather that person said nothing but she knew that they were looking at her and wondering? Yeah. Or would she rather that they just outright asked her, you know, yeah. oh what happened? And then she can explain.
0: Yeah. I mean, as doesn't talk about a disability. It's not something she would naturally chat about because like I said, she just says, I just feel normal. So you know, she comes home from school and said, oh, they were asking for people to volunteer for the cross country, which obviously she can't do. And she's going, I've volunteered. And Phil and I both go, oh, my God. You know? <laughs> it's like, oh, what did the teacher <laughs> say? Went, yeah, I'll put your name down. And I was like, oh, right. We might have to call the school. Um, <laughs> you know, but, but we love it that she puts herself out yeah, there and she does that really. normal. Um, yeah. You know, she's had to go to five schools. We've, mo- we've had to move quite a lot with Phil's job. And, you know, each time she started a new school, she's found that particularly Worrying and difficult, you know in terms that she knows that quite often she goes to a very high achieving school. there are not many um people in the school with disabilities. there are a couple with you know maybe a hearing disability or um you know a dyslexia or something like that which is a disability but w- with Isabella hers is largely um a physical disability that's the way her cerebral palsy at this moment in time poses itself um so you know she tends to be in the minorities in the schools that she goes to um. The school she just started, which she started two years ago, um, over the summer, quite a lot of girls messaged her saying, "Oh, I've heard you come into the school, this is the world of social media now. Um, I heard you come into the school and um, can't wait to meet you." And a few of them brought up the fact that um, I heard you have cerebral palsy, you know what does that mean? Um, and so she chatted with these girls about that. And I kind of stayed out of it. And, you know, she seemed fine with it. And I think she actually felt, actually, we've got it all out of the way when I'm not face to face with these people. And I'm not on the spot. I can take my time with my answers. And that seemed to work quite well and break the ice. And then when she started, she seemed to settle in quite well.
2: Yeah, so it was all, that. yeah, she'd sort of given them all the information, Yeah, all the questions were answered, and then they could obviously just get on with their friendships and get on with yes. their school time,
0: yeah. Yeah, but if people do question her, she's very matter-of-fact about it, she wouldn't get upset about it unless somebody was mean, or, you know, which there are, which does happen, you know, whether it be at school or in public, there are, are things that happen. And, you know, the day-to-day life as well at school is is slightly different for her than for a normal child, even down to doing her GCSEs. You know, she chose food tech as one of her exams. So obviously, there's things that you know um, they're they're judged on chopping and prepping and things like that. Where it takes as well a lot longer to peel potatoes and chop onions than it would you or I. And there's more risks involved. And you know, so there has to be the school and the the you know the the charity the the hospital trust have to work together to make sure she can still be judged equally um and gets a little bit more time and things like that but um and to be honest she doesn't want any of that so we had to go for an assessment um to see what she would need for exams and when we went in, in the first 15 minutes, when they kept asking her, you know, would you struggle with this? Would you struggle with that? Which I knew she would. And she'd go, no, thank you. No, I'm good. And so, like, after 15 minutes, I was like, Isabella, you're going to fail all your exams if you don't tell them the truth
1: here. <laughs> oh, I love her um, so much. She sounds like she's got so much about her, hasn't she? What strength
0: oh, and, and confidence. It's amazing. She really does. She really, you know, if I ever say to anybody, if I had to worry about either of my children, it wouldn't be her. because. <laughs> she she's just so determined and you know courageous and she really does just get on with it so um and you know she has to have this extra time exam so when when she got the the letter saying she had this extra time she just said my first question is, if I don't need it, can I just leave when everybody else
1: leaves?
0: <laughs> <So I> was <laughs> like, you know, everybody else is like, can I have extra time? And, and she was like, I don't need it. I don't want it. Amazing. Um, Amazing. You know, so, yeah. But, but she's brilliant. She really is.
2: It sounds like you've, like, got done such an incredible job in raising such a strong, like, ama- incredible girl. I mean, wow. I just...
0: Well, I don't think it's so it's down to her I really
2: do she's made
0: it easy for us with this outlook and attitude and you know like I said she the first thing she will say to to anybody look I don't want any special treatment treat me like everybody else and and that's what she says to her friends and you know it's her motto in life you know just treat me like everybody else you would everybody else and I'll let you know if there's something that you know I can't do generally she won't but she'd say she would
1: and I guess anybody that's listening, um, the whole, you know, when, when Isabella was nearly three and you just kept bang, well, sorry, nearly two, and you just kept banging on the door and saying that something wasn't right. Yeah. I guess anybody that's listening that's got that mother's instinct, you know, don't yeah. don't be Georgia, don't give up, keep pushing. If you feel there's something not quite right, you need to really investigate that and make people listen because you're, you're often right, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, the thing that, you know, my husband found quite difficult at the time was that...
0: Um, I'd been going back to clinic every week complaining about everything from her, you know, not being able to swallow, to never sleeping, to stopping breathing, to not sitting up, to all these things, basically yeah. failing every the milestone, and being told I had stopped comparing the two children and premature babies take a long mm-hmm. time to catch up. Mm-hmm. And, and as it happens, if, if she'd have seen these top pediatricians earlier, they could have diagnosed her probably 12 months earlier, and she would have been in the system a lot earlier. You know, the way I looked at it at the time, my husband was really angry at the time because she'd almost slipped through the net, really, that I'd been banging on the door and nobody had listened. And he was really angry about that. And he brought that up in the meeting saying, look, you know, should somebody have listened to my wife? And and they actually all said, look, you know, absolutely. The the test should have been done and the scan should have been done. And the way I looked at it was, look, you know, you didn't give her cerebral palsy. It's it's not your fault. Maybe she should have been a little bit earlier, but you know now we know so let's just get her in the system and let's start start treating her I you know I didn't want for me there was no blame to be placed Mm. um it is what it is she she was born with cerebral palsy she had a stroke for whatever reason that was which we will never know and and that just created this you know condition for Isabella um so there was no blame to be placed It, it is what it is
1: Julie thank you so much for coming on what an oh, amazing no story completely inspirational and you know you sound like you've got an incredible family there so thank you for sharing it with us i really feel like you've oh. loads of people listening
2: today thank you thanks <laughs> bye bye oh, what a lady She's incredible, isn't she? Like, seriously. I think when you hear people who have been through a journey like that, and they speak about it in such sort of... I mean, she obviously did say, you know, the first three years were very, very difficult, but she speaks about it in such sort of a diplomatic and, I don't know, just a pragmatic. very... Pragmatic, that's what I mean, not diplomatic, pra- sort of way, and she's very matter-of-fact about things, and... Yeah. It's just I'm just in awe of people like her, really.: Yeah, I am too, and also how she's raised
1: Isabella and the strength inside her you know she said it wasn't down to anything you know exterior that we'd done and you know we could afford the the nicest splints and you know the the soft play at home and all that kind of stuff but actually it was Isabella's strength that kind of got her through and she was the one that got up and walked and you know I guess you can either give up and think well this is the worst thing that's ever happened to my life or you can think right this is the card that we've been dealt you know my child's going to have an amazing life no matter what's going to happen some people are so strong you know? Yeah,
2: exactly. And also, I think it's quite important to say if you've got, you know, a friend who's, you know, maybe going through this, and you don't know how to support her or him, and they're not talking about it, then just sort of listen back to her conversation because Julie and um, Phil both handled it very differently, didn't they? But they both did put on this sort of front both of them, you know, for, for a long time that they you know, they didn't want to maybe talk about it openly. And I think it's good for, for people to, yeah. to realise that sometimes that is what's going on, um, and yeah. to, you know, just to deal with that accordingly, I guess
1: totally that actually it's a process that they've yeah. got that they, they've got to go through that actually no amount of questions or caring or I'm sorry or whatever else it's actually they've got to get their heads around it before they're maybe willing to discuss it so just yeah, it in there and support your friends you know as you can and also just people that you meet and stuff and people that you see I think I think we're always I don't know it's, it's a funny one with, with human nature we have this idea in our head about what a normal in inverted commas child is supposed to look like and actually that just it's bullshit it doesn't exist it's everybody yeah Our own issues and own problems and we have to support and love no matter what
2: I just really hope that um you know some some people listening will have found this episode interesting but also useful if you do know anyone who's going through this sort of thing or you're going through it yourself yeah
1: and um we always like to give a recommendation of podcasts that we've done that are similar to the one that we that you've just heard but actually this is the first time that we've ever done a podcast about disabilities within children but so we can't really we can't really tell you to go back and listen to any more but we can say that we've got about 75 in the bank so if you're new to the podcast definitely go back and have a listen all of the content is kind of timeless and hopefully you'll get some really good use out of it and yes
2: oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh That's it. hang on i'm just gonna put Gigi on the floor. she's at that stage now where she wants to be like you know like hand holding and walking around so she doesn't want to be sat oh on someone's God. lap um oh don't um but yeah so when you are listening to the podcast please 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 tag us and let us know how you're listening it seems like most people listen on their walks i've yes, noticed yes um so um, yeah do let us know And you can rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. That'd be really handy
1: as well. And if you do get the chance to give us a little five-star rating, that would be, that would be so lovely. Um, And you can send us a message on my personal one at Zoe Hardman or at Made by Mummers.
2: And when are we back? We are back on Friday with another great guest. Can't wait. See you then. Thanks for listening to the podcast. We know times are very difficult right now. And if you want any more information about coronavirus,
0: Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade
1: for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS.